Is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. Alright, welcome to the Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Uh, we have a great show today because we have a guest that we really like. He's from the chemistry department and he, he will be joining us throughout the hour and giving his um, opinions on, on certain topics that we're going to touch on. Hello. Hello, Jacqueline. Nice <laughs> to be here again. Yeah. So this is uh, Professor um, Harmada. He is a faculty member at the Department of Chemistry. Um, so he'll be here with us today. Hello. Anahita. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, just to remind you that if you want to get in touch with us, and we encourage you to, you can call us or text us here on studio at 573-882-8262. Or you can also find us on our Facebook page where we are, The Big Electron. Um, so if you have any questions or comments on to the topics we're discussing, you're more than welcome to reach out. So why don't we go ahead and get started on our show? If that, let's, if that does, let's, yeah. let's do I, I, that this. Was, that was dead air. That was, that was bad. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to have dead air. So, yeah, what's the, just, just hit me with something. I'm ready to go. All right. So, you work with uh, organic molecules, right? Yep. Very organic. Very organic molecules. Um, and so, a lot of people have this misconception of organic food being... How do we want to call it? Chemical free? Some people say that. Yeah, there's a <clears throat> there's this idea that if something is organic, then it's not tempered with or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's not what, polluted. It's yes, pure. It's pure. It's natural. Yeah, it's natural or naturally grown. Mm -hmm. yes, like, as I if guess. as if human beings are unnatural, <laughs> and all chemicals are unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What What do you think? Have you ever, when you tell people what you do, have you ever encountered this? Of people oh, yeah, mistaking sure. you? Yes, because they, um, the most people think of organic just in the terms you described as uh, mm -hmm. something that is, uh, you know, good and pure and clean. And what I do is good and pure and clean, of course. But it involves chemistry, and uh, a lot of times, once people hear that. The scared. eyes roll, the <laughs> lids close, they go into a fetal p position on the mm -hmm. floor and start sucking their thumb and shivering. It's like uh, chemophobia. Yes, chemophobia. chemophobia. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not uh, all that uncommon. And uh, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to admit or uh, don't see that everything is a chemical. 
Right. There ain't nothing mm-hmm. that isn't chemistry. It's all will, chemistry. Right. We would not be alive if it wasn't for chemicals. Right. Mm-hmm. Body and the, what we eat. Just because we don't call them chemicals all the time doesn't mean they're right. not. Yes, Even we, water is yes, a chemical. Water is mm-hmm. a chemical. It's a very dangerous chemical, too, because you can drown in water. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can drink too much. You, you can, can not drink, drink enough. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. You don't have enough. It's, it's bad stuff. Can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And oxygen's even worse because oxygen, you know, you can need creates it. things to mm-hmm. at least stuff like combustion mm-hmm. without oxygen. There's no combustion. Wouldn't have fires. You wouldn't have forest fires without oxygen. Our cars wouldn't work. Cars wouldn't work and we'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 all, it all has to be put in context. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the big problem. People. So. I guess my first question is, what is the definition of something being organic to you? Oh, organic means it contains carbon. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everything in this world contains carbon. Well, not everything. Well, not, not everything, carbon, but. But many, many things contain carbon. DNA, proteins, sugars, uh, all of our foods, all of our bodies, we all contain carbon. Mm-hmm. There are just a few minerals and Things like that that don't contain carbon. And even some of them contain carbon, and I consider them organic too. Calcium carbonate, limestone, for example. Although I'd probably have an argument with some inorganic chemists who'd say (laughs) that was wrong. But what the heck, if it contains carbon, it's organic. So what about water, H2O? No, water actually (laughs) isn't organic. (laughs) It is not, unfortunately. It is not organic. It's not in the realm of organic chemistry. But we use it all the time, so... Mm -hmm. It becomes important. So, yeah, I think one of the funniest things I ever saw was at um, one of these, like, healthier grocery stores. Mm -hmm. uh, They were selling organic water. Organic water? Yeah, I was like, what did they add to make that organic? (laughs) Yeah, well, there was, I don't know if there still is, but there was a big market a number of years ago for, you know, water that was special water. It was not clear how it was special, but it was advertised to convey benefits to you that ordinary water would not. And, um, you know, it was treated in some special way. And of course it was all a bunch of, uh, I don't think I can say that on radio beep. I'll just beat myself. So you don't have to worry about it. It was just, (laughs) you you can find it was was complete bull. (laughs) And, uh, but there are a lot of people who, who, uh, you know, go for this and they're willing to spend tons and tons of money on Mm -hmm. things that, have no value added to them other than somebody saying that they have some special property when in fact they have no special property beyond whatever the, simple, they whatever the chemical is. Right. That's right. all it is. And, and we have to remember that even tap water, um, like people in the city and this, this happens everywhere. They add some minerals that we don't get in our body. So like fluorine, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's the one that it's commonly added that we need. And so, you know, you don't need to have pure distilled water because, or deionized water, because that would make no. Actually, deionized water is probably bad for you because if yeah. you take in water that has no ions in it at all, uh, you have some problems with how the body might handle something like that. It's kind of the opposite of drinking seawater where there's too much stuff in it mm-hmm. and the, the body responds badly to that. If you had completely deionized water, I'm not sure how the body would 
would deal with that, but um, I'm not a biologist, so you have to have a biologist on the show at some point and talk mm-hmm. about drinking deionized, deionized water, water and what the effects nothing are. Else. But <laughs> given that you'd have other food, it probably wouldn't be that severe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going back to the organic chemistry uh, in versus organic food, what would you say that when do you think the misconception started? Do you think it was the media issue when did people started mistrusting the word chemicals oh who knows that's probably that probably predates uh it may even predate me uh i mean we've had it is very true that things like the chemical you know institutions like the chemical industry have punted sometimes in very important areas uh and those things always get publicized uh, mm-hmm. The thing that comes to mind is the Bhopal problem with methyl isocyanate, mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of people died because of probably lax regulation and uh, not. And then the, the the fear that builds up after that is in a way justified because one has to wonder if people put money or, or organizations or institutions put money before people's lives and don't have the, the controls necessary to deal with certain chemicals mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. way they should. And they really do. There are some chemicals that are nasty. Uh, poison ivy has erushiol in it. That's nasty, completely natural. Uh, <laughs> snake venom. Mm-hmm. It's natural. <laughs> yeah. It's completely Naturally natural. occurring. The and venoms that come out of jellyfish and spiders are completely mm-hmm. natural and completely nasty. But there's a lot of human-made chemicals. Yes, and that those are also natural. I think you know. I'll go to a broader topic here, which might be slightly off-topic, and you can you can discipline me later for doing so. <laughs> but the Judeo-Christian approach to humans has always been that man is separate from nature. Implicit in that is that man did not evolve. But the fact is, man did evolve. So man is part of nature. And all the stuff that man makes, even the stuff in this studio, this microphone I'm talking into, the headphones, the glasses, they are all natural. They're just as natural as a beaver dam Mm -hmm. and a beehive. It's just that we can do more Mm -hmm. (laughs) than bees and beavers. Not all people, but most. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's all natural. It's all natural. And we have this ability to be able to consider what we do, to actually reflect upon our actions that we don't think any other animal can do. And so we just have to do that Mm -hmm. uh, when we have situations where things uh, happen that are not necessarily the way we anticipated them to be. And so organic came about just as a, as a, I think, a knee-jerk response to um, this idea that, you know, one is that corporations don't care about people, which may or may not be true and probably is true in certain cases. The other is that you don't need to add anything to um, crops that are crops growing or anything mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it is net Naturally occurring. Yeah, mm-hmm. nature does. Nature takes care of herself. We mm-hmm. don't need to add anything to that. Okay, it's not a bad argument per mm-hmm. se, but it's not necessarily one that's scientifically sound. Right. Mm-hmm. People do need to know that distinction between. Yes, you do have chemicals, 
they're not bad for you in a sense. Well, one good but. example of this, it's a simple example, is uh, the Haber process. Okay, The Haber process converts, or I guess it's the Haber process, if I pronounce it correctly. The Haber process converts nitrogen into ammonia. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact details, but if today we stop the Haber process throughout the world, uh, two to three billion people would die. Because oh, wow. we just could not fertilize the crops mm-hmm. that we fertilize using the nitrogen sources we use, which are also ultimately based on amo- ammonia. We just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So crop yields would just plummet. Mm-hmm. And and maybe some people would say that's a good thing. Maybe two, three billion people should die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not that we're saying is good. Some people might say that. It might feel that way. But, but it's, a, it's it, true. It's it's a big. There are there, I don't I don't have a piece of paper in front of me right now that, it's that like gives the estimates. Of but the mm-hmm. population. Yeah, I mean we have a that's a situation where chemistry is indispensable. Now mm-hmm. one could argue the opposite. We should always consider this. Had we never developed a Haber process, we'd be short two to three billion people on Earth, and right. maybe that would be a good thing with regard to the mm-hmm. impact that humans do have on the planet. I don't know. I can't answer that and the, question. And the Haver process is an industrial process? It's an industrial process. Okay. I don't remember its scale, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a huge one because we are constantly taking atmospheric nitrogen and converting it into ammonia. To and fertilize. To fertilize crops Gross. all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an example of something that is completely, eh, Completely unnatural, the way we do it. There are bacteria that do it. And again, somebody who would say that we should stop the Haber process would say that we should rotate crops mm-hmm. and plant legumes where we plant corn every few years to reestablish nitrogen levels in the soil. And it's not a bad idea um, that we should do that anyway. But mm-hmm. we have this thing embedded now in our society, and you can argue whether it's good or bad, but it's quote-unquote unnatural, it's man-made. But if we didn't have it, if we stopped it right now, a lot of people would just starve to death. Right. We're kind of touching on a lot of different hot-button things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting how, like, this process is embedded in our in the way we live in our societies. And it's seen as unnatural, but we wouldn't have the societies we have without them. So it's like sustainability of life as it is, Mm -hmm. is dependent on things that man has done. Right. But that's always true. So like agriculture in general is to sustain, is to sustain human life. Human life. It was to make our lives easier. So at what point did we, and I'm not really expecting an answer. This is just a, a question. At what point did we step away from these things being considered natural and now they're unnatural? It's just I don't yeah. know, something I think about. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. We have That's to really do certain question. things to sustain society, sustain c- right. civilization. So now you need an anthropologist on yeah. the show. <laughs> <laughs> to start building to the bring list. it is just all this thing. To bring it all into perspective for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. All right, I think we're at a good stopping point. We'll be, we'll be back with more. Um, so... Uh, we'll take our first musical break. This is Gary Clark Jr. with The Healing, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have any questions or comments, um, you can reach us here on studio at 573-882-8262 or uh, look us up on our Facebook page. 
So, something cool happened this week.、Um, the Ig Nobel Prizes were awarded. So, the Ig Nobel Prizes are prizes that、um, celebrate offbeat scientific discoveries.、Mm-hmm. So, they make you, as they say, laugh and then think. Yes.、Um, and then they,、uh, they were handed out this week at Harvard University、uh, Sanders Theater.、Um, and they. Uh, they talk about it.、Uh, is this, I don't know if this is like an actual journal.、Um, so they said that they based it off on this、uh, journal called Analysis of Improbable Research. But I don't know if this is just part of a joke or if it's a real one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know, know either.、Yeah. I don't know the history. Of Although the... most of my work should go in that.、So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. What, what, I, what I think is really cool is.、Uh, It, it says on this article that I'm reading, it says many of this year's winners traveled to Harvard at their own expense, expense to receive their prizes, along with a, this is the best part of the prize, 10 trillion banknote from Zimbabwe, which is worth four cents <laughs> of the US dollar. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> But hey, if you have a check of 10 trillion, <laughs> yeah. You just want to hold on to it. Yes, you so, that you can, so that you can brag about it.、Uh, so, do we want to talk about the chemistry one?、Oh, sure. Yes, we have yes, to. Yes. So,、uh, the chemistry winner it was、uh, a team of a professor at the University of California, Irvine,、mm-hmm. Gregory Wise,、uh, with colleagues in the US and Australia. And actually, Professor Wise is coming. Not Professor Wise, Professor Rollin Raston. I'm sorry, Colin, Colin Raston is coming. Colin Raston is coming, is coming.、Yes. tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes. In the chemistry department、yeah. at noon. Yeah, he'll be giving a talk at noon.、Yes. 103 Schlunt Hall. And he'll be giving his talk about this topic. This topic.、Yep. Be this there, topic. be square. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, so, this,、uh, what they were awarded、uh, was published in a, an actual chemistry journal, Chem Biochem,、uh, earlier this year. And what they, pretty much what it was awarded for is、uh, with how to unboil eggs. Yes. So, do you want to talk about it? Sure. So,、um, I will be honest, I haven't read the paper yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I may not be the best.、Uh, well, I'll, t- I'll talk well, about it but- <laughs> out of complete ignorance. That's, that's what I do. Okay, so, so the, way, the way they describe it here is.、Um, That they discovered it is possible to untangle the sticky proteins that bind a hard boiled egg white with a mechanical technique that physically pulls the proteins apart. You just said it all. That's it. And that's, that's exactly what they did. So, when, when you boil egg white, well, when you boil eggs, you know they get hard. So, you're,、mm-hmm. you're, denatur- you're denaturing the protein, changing its physical state, but not really doing much with respect to. Covalent bonds. You're not breaking bonds that are within the individual proteins. You're just kind of shuffling them around into a state that produces this solid mass from this goo that you started with.、Mm-hmm. And so they're able to, to turn the solid mass into goo again by,、uh, they actually add urea to、mm. this stuff as well as,、uh, I think they're doing centrifugation, high speed.、Um, Uh, rotation of this stuff, and they're using shearing、mm-hmm. forces to help basically rip these, these proteins, these proteins apart. apart so that they revert back to their original state.
Mm-hmm. And then, which uh, is which is freely moving per right. se. Um, yeah, yeah. Because when you because when you said covalent bonding, it just means that they bind to each other and they're kind of stuck in that. Position. Well, no, they're oh, not. So, we're not really changing covalent bonding. We're changing the interactions between oh, two okay. different molecules. It's like okay. no chemistry is happening, no bond breaking or making. Yeah, it's how the bonds are kind of aligned, aligned with yeah, each how other. the molecules are aligned with right. each other, and they're certainly undergoing interactions of some kind. But they're uh, yeah. They're not. They're not uh, forming what we would call in the chemistry world full-blown covalent bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's good we don't know a lot because that should inspire your listeners to come tomorrow and hear Professor Rastin tell us about uh, unboiling eggs. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to get here. It seems interesting. Now, I mean, this is a, this is an important thing, but the big breakthrough, the big breakthrough will come in the future when they can tell us how to unfry an egg because apparently you, you can't do this with fried eggs at least that's what i've heard mm. so that'll be the challenge and oh, of course i'm going to ask them about that tomorrow that's what the world has been waiting for how to what, unfry an egg <laughs> what what is the difference though between boiling the egg and frying i would an think egg. that there's not a lot Right. I would think that the physical changes are the same. Are, are the basically same. the same. But uh, it's, it's just in a yeah. group, Well, we have to find egg. out. Yeah. We have to find out. Of course, the real challenge is how do you unscramble an egg? Because then we're talking about well, something. Well, really <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a little bit too much. But on a heat time, we, we should probably get into this. Yeah. I think and then we, we can get an egg Nobel Prize yeah. in the future. Maybe hopefully a real one. How to unscramble, <laughs> how to unscramble an egg. Yeah. Separate. That would be so cool. I don't even, I don't, I can't even picture that though. I can't picture it either. I think that would be impossible. You notice they can't do anything to the yolk. I'm not sure the physical changes that actually take place in the yolk, but I don't think the procedure they did develop for boiled egg white will work on a boiled egg yolk. Mm -hmm. You can't turn a yolk back into a yolk as far as I know, or back to a mushy yolk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll get all the answers tomorrow. It'll be quite interesting. Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow noon and um, Schlant 103. Yep. If if you happen to be around, you should go check it out. Okay, what were the other prices that were there? So there's one that I thought was really cool, um, and it was that the the word "huh" seems huh? to be in every human language right. almost. So I thought that was kind of cool that no matter no matter where you're from, you kind of have "huh." Yeah, huh? and this is this well, was science. Uh, what? <laughs> well, this was the literature prize uh, awarded to Mark Dingemans and colleagues at the Max Planck Institute of Psycholinguistics in the Netherlands. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they they published this research a couple of years ago, 2013, and um, that's that's really I don't universally know. human. I, 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 well, what do you think? Like, I have to doubt this a little bit. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not all that well traveled, but I. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If, I, I mean, I, I maybe actual, maybe not, huh? But the the word, the meaning of the word, like oh like, sure, yes. like okay, what that's there what is some, so huh or some variation. Oh, okay. Of that, uh, okay, that's fine. A sound indicating uh-huh. confusion the, or not understanding. Stumped, yeah, yeah, like what something. Yeah. So is it K? <laughs> K. I don't know. What is it in Spanish? In Spanish? Yeah. Uh. Uh. So if you say uh. uh okay. Yeah. 
and then you had to do the facial expression. We can't show it on the radio, but you can imagine our faces are like, huh? <laughs> okay, we are. Uh, Perfect. What? Uh. <laughs> so does that uh, have like, other meanings if without the facial expression? I always think that's no. funny when there needs to be <laughs> some kind of there. physical. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, I think uh, pretty much say is like, huh? Like, what are you talking mm -hmm. about? The same as, uh, here, huh? Mm -hmm. Here. I, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think so. I don't know. Uh, let's see. The, <laughs> the, the economics prize. I thought that was really cool. This was given to the Bangkok Metropolitan <laughs> Police. For offering to pay policemen extra cash if the policeman refused to take bribes. <laughs> I love it. So they were bribing them not to take bribes. I love that. It's called salary. I think. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, I wonder how much they have to like bribe them to not be bribed. To not like, be bribed. If there is, but like, how do you? How do you know though? How do you know that your yeah. pol your cop is not being bribed? Is not taking bribes from someone other from than someone you. else? Because like, <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, like you're you're here in the office. The cops are out there, you know, patrolling or whatever. Like, how do how do you rest assured that they're not? It seems like the cops won the prize on this one. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and now they have an ec ec economics prize, uh, which is which is cool. Uh, let's see what else. What else? there were a lot. There were a lot. Um, so the, there's a, the biology one. I thought was kind of cool. It mm -hmm. was that they got a chicken to walk like a dinosaur, and the way they did it was by attaching a stick to the tail. So if, oh if chickens had larger they, tails. They call it a dino chicken? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and this was, um, oh, you're going to like this, University of Illinois in Chicago. Oh, yay. Uh, <laughs> My alma mater. <laughs> Jose Iriarte Diaz uh, and colleagues were, how did, uh, this was published last year, and uh, it was, how did, the, the name of the article was, how did theropod dinosaurs walk? To model these long dead dinos, the researchers attached an artificial tails to the chickens. Um, and so by walk like a dinosaur, <laughs> instead of being more upright, the dinosaurs, I'm sorry, the chickens' heads would be like duck down so they're a little yeah, more. Yeah, because they're trying to pull yeah. this thing that's on their rear yeah, ends. Yeah, right. <laughs> the center of mass shifted and so they had to walk differently. I would imagine if I if someone put like a stick or a very heavy backpack, I would yeah. walk you would have to lean forward to compensate yeah. for the So is there a YouTube video on this? I mean, this is something people might want to see. Yes, there is a YouTube video. Okay, so dinosaur chickens or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and if you if you look at the actual article, um, it was published, excuse me, on PLOS One or a Public Library of Science. Those are open access, so anyone mm -hmm. um, can access this without having, uh, having to have a, a, a subscription to, to the journal. So... And if you remember PETA, you might want to go after these guys for chicken abuse. <laughs> well, they, I mean, it was published last afterwards? year, so <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> they do have to be a little. Um, what I'm interested in is who funded this. I I will I will click on the link. I will click on the link and then go from that. So, what other what other awards were given, Anahita? So the physics award. Uh huh. Um, was that 
for testing the biological principle that nearly all mammals empty their bladders in about 21 (laughs) seconds. (laughs) Plus or minus 13 seconds. (laughs) All mammals. All mammals. Apparently, these guys have never heard of benign prostatic hyperplasia, but we can save that for another show. So that reference, the article is called Duration of Urination Does Not Change with Body Size. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to know how they demonstrated that one of the awards. So I'd be glad you're a graduate student in chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That we did not have to go into that. Your we life didn't could have be to worse. do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to mention real quick the the previous uh, article that we mentioned, Walking Like Dinosaurs, the, the chicken. Uh, the study was funded by the Institute of Ecology and Biodiversity. Um, and then they were also, uh, the grad student was uh, awarded the BBVA, so that's that's the uh, that's a bank, uh, that's a, a Spanish bank, um, and someone got the award. Um, I think the main author, the the leading author. Oh, um, good. So yeah, um, yeah. So this one's an interesting one. It's the management prize. Um, so this was a group of scientists in Italy, Singapore, the United States, India, France, Luxembourg. Germany and Japan, so all over the place. And they said um, that business leaders who uh, had experienced a natural disaster that resulted in no personal consequences um, uh, develop a fondness for risk-taking behavior. So... And the name, the name of the article is, What Doesn't Kill You Will Only Make You More Risk-Loving, risk Early di- Life Disasters and CEO Behavior. Ooh. <laughs> so if you've, ex- so like. So like if you experienced an earthquake when you were young, but nobody in your family died from it, and then you become a CEO, you're just like, let's gamble this company's money. <laughs> To see what we can do. All right. Well. So you get more confident. You think you're you think you're invincible. Yes. You've survived the worst that there can be. I wonder. You know, they should they should probably do a study on like areas that are risk uh, that are uh, prone to mm-hmm. to disasters. So like Oklahoma, where mm-hmm. they have a lot of tornadoes, or the coast where like hurricanes and stuff. Just to see like if CEOs come from there. But yeah, that's interesting. That like, would be something that if you tend to. <laughs> you no. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, okay. someone could publish it, right? I mean, they publish this. Why, why can't they publish that correlation? I mean, you know, there might be a journal that accepts this somewhere in there. Um, let's see the 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 medicine prize, Anahita. The diagnostic medicine or the. Uh, the one that involves intense kissing. Oh, yes. <laughs> so two groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was awarded jointly to two groups for experiments to study uh, the benefits or consequences of intense kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and this, uh, one of them was, uh, the name of one of the articles was Reduction of Allergic Skin Wheel Responses by Sexual Intercourse and in Allergic Patients. And this was published in the Sexual and Relationship Therapy Journal back in 2004. And then uh, the other one was published in Genetics 2012. 
few years ago and said uh, prevalence and persistence of male DNA identified in mixed saliva samples after intense kissing. So, I wonder if when they like accepted the award <laughs> and they jumped on the award. They, they, they showed their research. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like the flyer to sign up for some of these research projects? <laughs> We're going to need you to make out a lot. <laughs> and then we're going to take out some samples. Yes. Out of your mouth. Well, one of the consequences for sure of intense kissing is children. <laughs> but I think we've known that for a long time. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, the, they actually, uh, before I forget, the... Um, the ceremony can be viewed and it's entirely in YouTube, in YouTube uh, and NPR Science Friday is going to broadcast it the day after Thanksgiving. So if you're interested in hearing how these people accepted the awards. Um, let's see, we missed, we missed a couple. So you said medicine, there was also a diagnostic medicine uh -huh. award and that was for um, diagnosing acute appendicitis. Mm -hmm. uh, by going over a speed bump. So the pain you experience if you have acute appendicitis <laughs> is worse when you go over a speed wow, bump. Who would have thought that? <laughs> you know? and it, did they it, measure what it takes to burst? <laughs> I don't know if they went that far. <laughs> flame the appendix. <laughs> but this was based off of a study called Pain Over Speed Bumps in Diagnosis of Acute Appendicitis <laughs> Diagnostic Accuracy Study and was published in 2012. Yeah. And this was by, a, by a researchers in University of Oxford. Oh my. So it's it's not like random universities. Yeah. It's like well-known universities. I guess just they, they have the... I wonder how if they <laughs> if they can tell what stage of the appendicitis is. That would be interesting. That would be very very interesting. Yeah, so we're well, I guess we're behind we're behind the times here at, at the <laughs> University of Missouri because I don't the last time I visited a gastroenterologist I don't think he had a car waiting for him to go over speed bumps to do any diagnoses. So we also, have to get moving. I wonder if yeah. different speed bumps yield different results. Yeah. So they're the like multiple <laughs> yes. small bumps versus the one bump. <laughs> and, and speaking of pain, the physiologic, physiology and entomology prize was awarded to, uh, to two professors, one at University of Arizona in Tucson and another one in Cornell's university. <laughs> the first, and it was for, um, Talked about pain. So the first one was for creating the Schmidt Stink Pain Index, which rates the relative pain people feel when stung by various insects. Oh. That's cool. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And then the other one though, uh professor from Cornell, it's <laughs> he got awarded uh the prize for carefully arranging for <laughs> honeybees to sting him repeatedly on twenty five different locations of his body. To learn which locations are the least painful, which are the skull, middle toe tip, and upper arm, and which are the most painful, the nostril, the upper lip, and the pe penis shaft. So if you combine the two, you can do oh. like the most damage. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So that's find the worst bug and the worst location. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and and that's how you that's how you get it. 
So, so I, I read that uh, when I saw this uh, award given that the nostril, um, I guess the subject of the study said that the nostrils were a full body pain. So if you got stung in the nostril, you felt it throughout your whole body. Mm. I'm just like, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. just can't get past the other. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the other pain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. If you think about weird stuff and then you prove it right, then mm -hmm. you, you can be considered for an Ick Nobel prize. And, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about in this game, um, just a, a month before the actual Nobel Prize prices are announced, they're usually the first couple of weeks of October. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see what um, this year's Nobel Prize winners are. Um, so we'll go ahead and take our second musical break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCAU 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCU 88.1 FM. We're near the end of the show. Thanks for sticking around. Um, yeah, so we have a few minutes. Um, do we want to touch on some stem cell neuron research? Sure, that sounds no. fun. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this was published uh, recently, and it's a collaboration between teams and Stanford University and the Ricken Center for Developmental Biology in Japan. And what they did is they took human stem cells and they were able to transform them to form 3D neural structures that are that display activity associated with that of an adult brain. And so what they did uh, with applying uh, chemical growth factors, they use human embryonic stem cells. They transform them into neurons that then self-organize in patterns unique to the cerebellum, which is a region of the brain that coordinates movement. This was the researchers in Japan. The Stanford team, uh, they had pluripotent stem cells derived from skin cells. And they, again, uh, using chemically chemical factors, um, they made them become neurons that then spontaneously wired up into networks of 3D circuits, such like the, cere the cerebral cortex, uh, which is matter of the brain that supports attention, memory, and self-awareness. So what do you think of that? Do, oh. you, th do you think that they... Um, <laughs> Do you think that this could be like a therapy? I'm assuming that's that's why they they wanted to do it. Sure, it could be aimed at anything like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. You can imagine injecting stem cells into a human brain and then either having the chemical factors around necessary for differentiation or adding those factors and hope hoping that parts of the brain that have been compromised by disease can be basically regrown and rewired. It's interesting. But but how would you, but you would have, like, if you were to inject that into the human brain, you have to take so many other things into consideration because we have, we don't only have those factors that when you're in vitro, you know, you only make them grow with whatever is necessary, but, you know, the brain, we have so much other stuff. Like, how, how would they be able to control it? Beats me. 
That's part of the research. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's, that, yeah, exactly. That's, that's I mean, what they did. They would have to, they're, you know, they're certainly going to, if they do things like this in vitro, then they're going to go in vivo and in, in uh, mm-hmm. oh, rats and mice and dogs and monkeys and things like that and mm-hmm, see if, mm-hmm. if uh, they can, you know, in animals, they may even destroy part of a brain and then add stem cells. And this may have already been done. I have no idea. You have idea, any ideas? No, I have no, no ideas. Idea I'm a chemist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't well, know. It's, it's, it's cool though. It's interesting to see that. So previously, we can make- so previously was it in 2D? Is that what? <laughs> like now it's all exciting. That's in 3D. <laughs> no, I think it's just that. I'm not paying extra. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just the fact that they were able to arrange well, yeah. in a sense that, uh, in a way that. Yeah. It starts to look like a brain now. That looks like a-, a brain. Yeah. They describe it like a mini brain mm-hmm. and, um, the neurons sent signals to one another and coordinated parent mm-hmm. patterns. And so they were able to communicate with each other, yeah. uh, which is, you know, something that we need. Right. <laughs> uh, if if you think about 3D printing, mm-hmm. if you want to print a brain, well, you also have to like print the stuff in the brain so that it right. works. Otherwise, you just have this mushy. You have a dead brain. <laughs> thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes in there, I think, but we don't have enough time. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what they're after is can we do uh, repair of brain damage mm-hmm. from any cause, whether it's uh, aging, aging, uh, various types of dementia, Parkinson's, all mm-hmm. these things are potentially an accident, treatable. An yeah, accident, physical yeah, trauma, trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're. They're just looking at what they say is they're looking at specific molecular targets in the brain and how drugs then would interact with them hmm. um, before they start playing around with actual animal models that, you know, could make a lot of bad things happen. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't know, it seems like a cool idea. Um, still, I think it's still a long ways, long ways from Mm-hmm. becoming a reality right. as this is with any research but right you take a small step and a small step and a small step mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. finally the last person pins it together and gets that <laughs> Nobel Prize <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> there you go and then you can you can do that and and you can win a Nobel Prize because we don't know a lot about the brain actually last right. year's medicine um the Nobel Prize in Medicine was given to scientists who discovered uh, spatial neuron cells, hmm. uh, grid cells. So cell uh, neuron cells that tell us where we are, mm-hmm. how we are able to see, okay, I shouldn't run into that door <laughs> and all that stuff. So, so if I'm clumsy, we take for granted, but are actually controlled subconsciously mm-hmm. by and, and, parts of our brain that it, if they were gone... Um, we would we wouldn't yeah. wouldn't be able to do certain things even mm-hmm. recognize ourselves right there are, there are parts of the brain that allow us to recognize ourselves allow us to recognize that we actually have bodies mm-hmm. so there are people who have brain damage who don't recognize that they're alive basically they wow. don't recognize that they are an, a self <laughs> they've lost self recognition which is hard to imagine yeah because <laughs> it's so inherent in us yes. yeah. yeah but but why do they like, what do you mean they lost it? Like, they don't... They don't think they have bodies. So, 
they so just move just around? I don't know. <laughs> but there are people like that, at least that I've read about, that don't realize that they have bodies anymore. I, I wonder if it affects their, um, like, automatic responses, like breathing. Like, we don't have to think to breathe. So I wonder if they have difficulty breathing. Breathing? Eating? It, it that's what I was thinking, like. Probably that's all brainstem. I mean, that's probably so basic. that There are probably things so basic that you'd have to damage the brainstem. I mean, it's all this probably the stuff that's that's farther away from the brainstem that involves a lot of these higher order things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you would think recognizing self would be uh, something that's pretty basic. For humans, because we don't see that in other animals. Oh yeah, like dogs will bark at their own reflection. Yeah, Mm -hmm. only a few animals are capable of realizing what a mirror actually is. Right, right. Yeah. But it's it's crazy. Because the... um, what is it for people that lose limbs mm-hmm. and they have the oh the phantom the, the, limb. the phantom limb the therapy is just having a mirror on the other limb and then then they feel like they're okay yeah but they have both limbs yeah it's weird <laughs> which is so weird I'm like but you see that you have nothing yeah but when you see the reflection your brain is like okay well cool yeah we don't feel pain anymore. <laughs> crazy <laughs> it's crazy what the brain can do mm-hmm. it's crazy and there's a lot that we don't know but yeah that's true there's going to be research in in uh brain chemistry and brain science neuroscience for decades and decades and decades mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe centuries to come yeah we before a, we fully understand yes, we mm-hmm. have a lot to learn what goes on now do you think chemists will get into that oh they already are there are there are chemical neuroscience neuroscientists. Mm -hmm. One that I know is at the University of Munich, a friend of mine named Dirk Trauner. And, you know, how chemists get into it is to look at, for example, how small molecules might uh, selectively interact with and subsequently change a group of cells or a part of the brain rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, the overall brain and how that might be used for enhancing uh, brain performance or treating brain diseases and things like that. So there are a lot of opportunities. Mm -hmm. People working in the sensor area can uh, look at how neurotransmitters uh, play a role in uh, transferring information. And and sensing and all that stuff. So there's a a lot of people getting involved in that at at what I would call the very basic chemical level, not necessarily on the whole brain Mm -hmm. or even Mm -hmm. partial brain, but at at the cellular level and, and below cellular and molecular level. Mm-hmm. So. And those interac- chemical interactions that happen yes. in the cell mm-hmm. and the neurons. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Yes, oh, it's always you. a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for those of you out there listening on this uh, Sunday evening. Uh, we'll be back next week and have a good oh, Just as a reminder, yes. tomorrow at 12 in yes. the chemistry building. 103 Schlunt. Not oh. the chemistry building. Okay. 103 Schlunt. 103 mm-hmm. Schlunt. That's close to the chemistry building, but not quite the same. <laughs> we have Colin Raston, who mm-hmm. won the Ig Nobel Prize for unboiling an egg. Yeah. Bring Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good day.